wiretappers keep listening to this episode all the way to the end and at the end there's going to be a original song recorded by casey mcbride called three can keep a secret thank you and now on with the show You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome all you wiretappers out there. I'm back here in the studio. I'm on the Skype with my good friend and Frank Costello expert, Casey McBride. And you know Casey McBride, he's a guy that's uh, provided a lot of music for the uh, podcast the ending the opening and the ending and then he gave me a whole bunch of clips for the movie uh, brothers against brothers and and i tell you what i all i did was i sent him some little clips of something i liked and then he retooled them a little bit and and gave me some great music so casey i really appreciate what you've done for me there welcome oh thanks for having me it's my pleasure to do it it's funny when you you emailed me uh, if I would be interested in talking about Frank Costello today. I'm like, is that ever a question? <laughs> I knew that. I knew that. I was just being polite. <laughs> you know, I, I'm kind of a Southerner at heart. We're, we're kind of extra polite. <laughs> no, it's my pleasure. I always like doing this. It's great. I, I know you do. Well, we're we're here in the middle of this COVID-19 virus Uh I'm stuck at home. You're still able to go to work because you're in the medical profession. And and like uh, my social media marketer guy that helps me a lot with, you know, different posts on the, uh, made him an administrator for me and puts out a lot of, of, uh, he's great with putting out pictures of mob guys and things like that. Basil Terabiche, he, I emailed him the other day or texted him and we were going to do a podcast and he was going to uh, review a kind of a, a, Little known mob movie called, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, God, I can't, all of a sudden I forgot it was so little known, but it's kind of an interesting movie and, uh, about machine gun Jack McGurn and, and uh, uh, Al Capone and leading up to the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Uh, he texted me back and he said, Oh, yeah, I'll be, be happy to. And we set a time. And then right before that time, Thursday night, he texted me back. He said, sorry, he said, uh, you know, I work in a hospital down here in Dallas, and, and i got to work another shift. I said, you know, I text right back, said, no problem. You know, hang in there, buddy. I appreciate you doing that, and you guys are important to us. Well, you know, Casey, the next morning, about 6 the next morning, I got another text from him. He said, well, I just got home. So he had worked almost 20 hours that oh, day down there in, in that Dallas hospital. Yeah, those uh, guys. So, wow. Man, they're, they're on the front lines. You're more in the support capacity. But, uh, yeah. But, you know, I'm just sitting at home. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. I feel kind of – that's why I'm putting out these extra podcasts. At least I can help entertain people. That's, yeah. You know. I used to go out and help people on the streets and take those risks, but uh, you know that time's done. So best I can do is give you a little extra entertainment, folks. Well, hey, that helps. Every little bit helps, man. Really. All right, we're going to talk about your favorite subject, Frank Costello, and you know, folks, if if you want to know more about Casey's work on Frank Costello, go to his Facebook page, Uncle Frank's Place. And also go to his website, which he updates constantly with the fresh content on Frank Costello. Give me, remind me the name of that. It's a FrankCostelloHistory.com. All right, great. And there's a lot of interesting stories about Frank Costello. He was he was a hell of a guy, wasn't he? He was one of the original. He's an interesting dude, that's for sure. Yeah. 
and he was different than than a lot of them. You know, he was hooked in with Meyer Lansky and you know Lucky Luciano, and really the forming of the original commission when they took over from the Black Handers, killed off all those Black Handers, and there was, there was a lot of killing going on back in those days. Yeah, there was. He, he was more the brains behind all this. They can't say Meyer Lansky was. But Frank Costello on the uh, Sicilian side and the Italian side was was a lot more the brains behind that, I would say, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think you know it was a good it was a good team effort actually there. When you think about Luciano, you know, having surrounding himself with guys, you know, that were going to give him good advice and and help steer him in the right direction. In that world, at least, you know, you couldn't do any better than Meyer Lansky and Frank Costello. I mean, you know, you had two of the the smartest guys in the business kind of backing you up there. So, you know, that original kind of Luciano family, when you had Lucky sort of as the boss, you had Vita Genovese as the underboss, Frank Costello as the consigliere, and you had Meyer Lansky, you know, kind of on the periphery there, you know, you couldn't. He wasn't a made guy because he was Jewish, obviously, but he, uh, you know, he was there helping him. I mean, that that was one of the the, the major teams of you know mob history. You can't really get any more stacked than that that crew right there. So, I would guess that uh, those guys, especially Costello and and Lansky, was probably the reason Lucky Luciano was so big on calling meetings and getting people together and, and forming a commission and and sit down and talk things out rather than just going and killing each other off because I swear, I'll tell you right now, when mob guys start killing each other off, law enforcement gets puts the heat on because I've been there. We did that, <laughs> and, and and they ended up in the skimming trial from Las Vegas. We, would, we wouldn't have got onto that skim had not they not been killing each other off in a little minor mob war, the one I talked about in Brothers Against Brothers, uh, the most recent movie of mine. We wouldn't have been there. That that little bug at the Villa Capri, uh, so made so famous in the movie Casino, would not have been in place, more than likely. And look what happened. Yeah, I mean, just, you know, from a few incidents, it doesn't really take that much to, to turn things around. So, you know, when you get guys like that that are thinking kind of more of the big picture, uh, it seems like a lot of the guys in that world, you know, they're so reactionary, you know, and, yeah. and, and that's just in their nature they they don't think they act and but you get those guys like the Lanskys and the Costellos that you know they they see a bigger picture and they're they're patient and they they work things out they don't just you know jump when you, you know in a, another little known fact I just did this uh, series on the pizza connection and I look back into the relationship with the Sicilian mafia and the the American mafia and, and lucky you know we got deported after after the war was in Sicily, and he's really the reason that they started uh, their own commission over there. They didn't have a commission before he got them together, and and they formed their own commission over in Sicily. Now, it blew apart pretty quick because some of those people, they were beasts, man. They were animals over there. I mean, they'll kill your whole family off, which when they did that, that caused uh, uh, the most famous Sicilian mob boss, to come in and turn state's evidence ever, Tommaso Buscetta, they, they killed off his sons, they killed off, uh, God, uh, in-laws, they killed off people that are periphery in his family, even though they weren't involved in the business because they were so afraid he was going to talk, which all it did was make him talk. He ended up meeting with the judge down there, Giovanni Falcone. So that was, a, was another direct result, bringing themselves down because of all their, their murder. 
Yeah, I think it's really interesting that, you know, the difference in the behavior between the American mob and, you know, the mob in, in Italy. That's fascinating, the, you know, where that line was drawn when they came over here and they started to, to conduct themselves a little different. And, you know, they were they more reluctant to go after an official or a, a, a policeman or even just a civilian, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a that's a, a myth that they, you know, that famous quote, we only kill our own. You know, obviously, that's yeah. not true. Anybody who kind of reads about this subject in any depth will find out, you know, yeah. pretty quick that that's, that's not necessarily the case. But for the most part, you know, it seems like they are pretty good about, you know, keeping their business sort of yeah, in more of... I, I agree. Been that way in Kansas City, at least in my experience, and never really harmed anybody outside and, and never harmed any policemen or police officials. Uh, back in the 30s, they did, but they, those guys were in bed with them anyhow. Uh, same way in Chicago. Any any policeman ever got hurt up in Chicago by the outfit, they were somebody that was in bed with them in some manner anyhow, like Richard Kane, people like that. So, right, yeah. You know, so let's let's move along. You know what I, I, We talked about this, and what I'd like to talk about is Frank Costello and his move of – slot machines into the entire state, basically, starting with New Orleans, <laughs> but the entire state of Louisiana. That's a really, I think it's an interesting story of how he was able to, to you know, work politically, work with the governor, the famous Huey P. Long, <laughs> who was crooked as a dog's hind leg, as we say back home, and, and how that went down. Uh, start telling us a little bit about that, Casey. I know you, you know a lot more about that than anybody I know. Well, yeah, I think it's a it's a fascinating aspect of Frank Costello because you know that's one of the things that makes him interesting is he's he's not just a, a New York guy. You know, he he branched out all over the place. And Louisiana, I, I think, is one of the most fascinating you know aspects of his story. It's such a colorful place, anyway. You know, and then you start adding these kind of guys in there, it just kind of adds to the the intrigue of it all. When Prohibition ended, he kind of made that transition into slot machines. Him and Meyer Lansky, um, like we've talked about before, were they kind of saw the writing on the wall, and they were prepared for Prohibition to end, and they, they looked for other outlets to start making their money. They went into the, the slot machine business, and they were very successful in New York for a while. They, had, uh, they formed this company called the True Mint Company, they devised a way around the law a little bit where they would have uh, slot machines that would give out mints most of the time. And then every once in a while, it would actually pay out a little money, too. But they were considered candy machines. So that was a, a way to kind of get around, skirt around the law there for a while. Those, those slot machines would have a sticker on them. And if a, a cop on the beat that wasn't familiar with the situation or on a take or anything like that saw that sticker on the slot machine, he knew that that was one of Costello's and Lansky's slot machines, you leave it alone, you know. Uh, Joe Valachi has a pretty funny story about a cop who found one and poured ketchup into it. He, he wasn't going to play the game, and uh, it was the next day he got, they said that he was sent out basically to Siberia for his next, uh, you know, assignment, and Valachi was saying it didn't take much to, to figure out who sent him there, you know. So they had a lot of protection for a while, but then... Mayor LaGuardia, they called him the Little Flower. Apparently, little that's flower. what his name means. So, but uh, yeah. he was one of those uh, kind of guys that was that wasn't really corruptible for, with those uh, guys. So, there's very famous footage of him. He went around New York, started rounding up all these slot machines. He put them on a barge, took them out into the the river, and you know, it's the sledgehammer busted them wow. up and dumped them into the river, just like prohibition, huh? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, 
all those slot machines are still down there. I've actually read a pretty interesting article from some salvage divers who have tried to go down and get some of these machines. But oh, really? They're under about 100 foot of sediment at this point, so it's really difficult to bring them back out. But Yeah, I don't know if the collector's value would be, <laughs> be pretty significant. <laughs> I'd still love to have one, though. But um, <laughs> Yeah, you'd buy one. Yeah, you? right? <laughs> so they kind of got ran out of New York with their slot machines. So they, they rounded up all the, the slot machines that didn't get destroyed. They had over a 1,000 of them still in this warehouse. They needed a place to put them. The story goes that they were invited down to Louisiana by Huey P. Uh, P. Long. The stories that go along with how that got set up, there's... There's like five or six different ones. There goes all the way from, uh, apparently there were some blackmail photos of Long that had him with uh, another woman, and then he went to Costello and asked for help, and Costello got the guys to destroy the photos, and after that they had formed a friendship. There's another story that Frank Costello heard about an assassination attempt and warned Long about it ahead of time, so they became friendly that way. There's a really funny story that they might have met in a... uh, a country club in Long Island at one point where Huey Long went into the bathroom to use the urinal and there was somebody that was using it in front of him and he was drunk. He had, he apparently was a big drinker, womanizer, and he tried to, to use the urinal between the guy's legs behind him and ended up oh, peeing off the guy's leg and the guy beat him up. And Frank Costello happened to be there and Frank Costello broke up the fight and they became equated that way. I actually found a, a document that was posted that had a picture of Huey Long and a letter about he had gotten in a fight at a uh, at a country club, and there's a picture of him with a black eye. And I always thought that that story was just you know made up, but there might be some credibility to that story. That might have been actually how they they did meet. You know, I have to wonder what that country club was because back in those days, these uh, mob gamblers went around the country and made these rural kind of country clubs. We had one or two here in the city in the gambling joints. You used to call them carpet joints. And yeah. So, you, you know, the people would come out from the city, uh, and they'd have fine dining, and, and there would be uh, like a little casino in the back. And out in the, the county is what we say call it. If that was one, a carpet joint down there, that story may likely be true. It could be, yeah. So, at any rate, they apparently they did meet. There's even stories. There's some folks that will contend like that Frank Costello never met Long, that they would never have been you know seen together. But as the story goes along, and you see how they put those slot machines down there, they must have had somebody in a, a pretty high position that was protecting them, or just it wouldn't have worked, I don't think. Um, and at, around the same time that they were going to do this, they actually tried to do it in Kansas City as well, but they were never able to get the the basically the support high enough to keep their slot machines out of there. You know, they, they tried to put a few in there. They had Phil Costello, who was Frank Costello's kind of right-hand man, went there and tried to set that up. But he never, they just never got any traction, so they, they ended up down in New Orleans. The guy that was kind of the go-between between Huey Long and Frank Costello was a guy named Diamond Jim Moran, and he was a restaurateur down there. He's a very famous character in uh, in New Orleans. He, Really, he's just as interesting as Frank Costello, actually. He's a pretty amazing guy. And a good buddy of mine, his grandson, Bobby Bricado, just wrote a book on him called Food for Kings. It's available on Amazon right now. If anybody would like to learn a little bit more about uh, Moran, he's going to do a, a few more things about as soon as this virus thing is over. You know, he's going to come out with the book a little. We were going to do a lot more about it, but we decided, you know, while this is going on, we should just sit tight and we'll, we'll, we'll promote a little more later. But uh, it is available on Amazon right now if anybody wants to see it. But anyway, Moran was kind of their go-between. They decided they were going to bring down these slot machines to Louisiana and 
put them all around. And the the way they were going to do it, Costello says that he was invited down by Long, and the some of the proceeds were going to go to a charity. He was never very specific about what charity that was. <laughs> and apparently in the yeah. first year that they were down there, only $600 ever went to the yeah. charity. And we're talking about, you know, slot machines. He had a lot of them down there. They were making a lot of money. So, Oh, yeah. I, I know all about that here in Kansas City. When uh, we had, you know, total ban on gambling up until the 70s of any kind, um, you know, modern time. And they, they opened it up for bingo games, but you had to be a charity. Of course, two of the three or four bingo, big bingo games here in Kansas City, and bingo is is really gambling is what it is. You're putting out a lot of money and buying those cards, and you hope to win some money. So I think two of the four big bingo halls in Kansas City were all of a sudden mob guys are showing up as you know workers in there or just you know kind of like go in and look around they weren't they weren't playing bingo and so then you pull the papers on them and there's this charity on there and then you look on the board of directors of charity and there's all these uh associates and and wives and things like that on the on the board of directors so so that using the 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 charity thing to disguise gambling proceeds and gambling operations is is still continuing being used at least back in the 70s and now you know gambling is legal everywhere so you don't have to do any of that anymore. yeah i remember one of your uh earlier podcast you were talking about how you had one of the guys that trained you you were driving around and you were talking about that bingo and he said (laughs) you know mark my words it'll start with bingo and then watch what's going to happen afterwards and it's exactly what happens you know it's yeah you know those guys would be rolling in their their graves right now i'm sure they see how legal everything is you you can bet on your (laughs) phone (laughs) i know i know so but when they got down there, they ended up, uh, they formed a company called the Pelican uh, Novelty Company, and they started making, you know, producing slot machines down there, too. I was fortunate enough to go see one of the old warehouses when I was in New Orleans. It's still standing, and so you can go by there and see the original building where they were storing and making some of these things. These slot machines got out. They were real successful in down there. You know, it's a great town. They open arms embraced all that kind of stuff. So they were, they were off and running, and... Uh, Frank Costello's right-hand man, who I mentioned earlier, Phil Costell, this is a guy he had met through Arnold Rothstein back in the day and was kind of like Costello. Wasn't, he wasn't a made guy uh, like Frank Costello was, but he was, he was more of a thinker, more of a businessman. He had some trouble with fraud in his early days. He was doing white-collar kind of crimes and stuff like that. So he became Frank's kind of point man down there running the show. And, of course, you know, they brought in Carlos Marcello, uh, you know, who was the boss down there at the time, and he was cut in on this. You know, they couldn't just go down there and start operating without his permission. He was not a guy you want to mess with, I'm sure. So, you know, he was he was making money. Uh, you know, Huey Long was making money. Everybody was doing really good. But very shortly after they got down there, got up and running, Huey Long was assassinated in 1935. So um, that put kind of a kink in the chain for a little bit. Now that that assassination that had nothing to do with with the mob or anything, if I remember right, it was a depends somebody on, who was trying to get an office or something. That was, yeah, it depends on who you talk to. You know, it's one of those things that's got controversy and mystery surrounding it. You know, from here to tomorrow. One of the things I've read, you know, Costello, one of his lawyers said that at one point Costello confided to him that because when they shot Long, he didn't die right away. You know, he was rushed to the hospital. He was still alive for a while. And Frank apparently said, 
you know, they could have saved him, but basically the doctors were given the order to let him go. So, you know, yeah. It, yeah. It, who knows how much of that is true. Yeah. All these stories, you know, have 50 different versions of them. So, but it does kind of add to the intrigue of the whole thing. After, you know, he was assassinated, that it was a little bit more difficult. They had to go, they had to, you know, find more people to corrupt. You could, you got to keep so many people in on this to, to allow this to happen. The mayor of New Orleans, they got a new mayor, Robert Maestri, I think was his name. And originally he said he was going to clean the, the city up. He was going to allow these, these slot machines out there. He made a trip to Hot Springs shortly after. And when he came back, he had changed his tune. So he met <laughs> with some folks in Hot Springs over something. Uh, I've heard it was Oni Madden and a couple other guys. I don't know if Frank was there himself, but something well, happened. Oni, Oni Madden had, had since left New York and was down there. Was yeah. Kind of, if you want to say there was a crime boss, a mafia kind of he was in, the dude, man, yeah. in place. He was a dude. Dude, he and was the guy. he was he was a contemporary and would have known Frank Costello really well. So. Yeah, yeah, they were they were they were that definitely friendly. Sense. But whatever happened there, he came back and he kind of changed his tune and he was willing to play you know play the game with him for a little while. They started getting a lot of complaints from citizens as a, a, that all happened, and so they had to start doing some raids. You know, you got to yeah at least make it look like you're trying you to put on a show yeah. you know, i know what you mean i know about that putting on a little little uh, security theater a little police enforcement action theater yeah and and they uh they eventually they 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 got a new guy in there oh what was his name i think his last name was morris and he was one of the guys they they couldn't get him to to, to play play ball with him so they ended up huh. taking their machines and moving it to jefferson parish which is you know outside of new orleans there that was probably around 46, and around 46, 47, Marcello, Frank Costello, Castell, Meyer Lansky, and Jake Lansky, his, his brother, too, they uh, made a place called the Beverly Club, which is kind of like one of these, probably like one of these carpet joints, what you were talking about. But it, it was a very fancy, high-end uh, restaurant, you know, but they had the games in the back that were illegal. And the, the sheriff of the parish there, this guy King Clancy, he originally didn't want them there as well. And then he got uh, word from up above again. I, you know, I don't know if exactly from who. He ended up changing his tune shortly after. He kicked up a fuss when they were out there originally, but then he, he kind of went along with it. So who knows what, you know, was he getting paid? Was he threatened? I don't know. You know he probably just need he just needed a political contribution for ex- the next ex- election. Probably exactly what a, what he needed. Come on, but. dude. We know, we know which <laughs> size of bread gets the butter. <laughs> But yeah, so they opened up the Beverly, and that was a, a real famous place down there for quite a while. Guys like that, they don't, you know, they get moved out of one place, they just find another one. You know, yeah. it's, it's like yeah. this virus; they'll just jump from one person <laughs> yeah. to the other. They, don't they, use that. Don't use that analogy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. so they, you know, they, they don't ever stop with that. But yeah. um, but there's some, you know, there's some pretty interesting stories about just you know some of the things that went down there. One of them that kind of comes to mind with me is one of the, the few stories that you ever have of Frank Costello being violent was apparently he had one of his, his upper guys was caught skimming some of the money down there. Nick, uh, Frank got a call from Phil Costello and told him, you know, this guy's taking money. Do you want me to take care of it? And Costello told him, don't do anything. I'm coming down next week. Anyway, I'll handle it. So he, he rented a small little like hall, brought all his people in, 
he went up and he was talking to him at a podium. He called the guy up on some pretense. When the guy got up there, Frank had a wrench and he clocked him over the head with the, the, the wrench wow. in front of everybody. He didn't kill him, but you know he hit him over the head real hard. He, he claims that was one of his only violent acts that he ever did. You know, as a mob boss, who knows if that's true? Probably not. But uh, yeah, that, that's an interesting technique that goes probably before uh, back before Al Capone. But Al Capone kind of started that. Has all he got some people that he feels like are are traitors to him. He calls everybody in at some kind of a meeting or a dinner. And there's a famous story where he pulls out a baseball bat and beats these guys. I think he beat them to death right in front of the rest of the bosses. And there's other stories like that. I yeah. researched that, uh, uh, those other stories. So, so many of them never really get retold, but it certainly gets everybody's attention. Sure does. Yeah. So yeah, you don't hear very many stories like that about a Costello. You know, you do about him. No putting orders to go, you know, take care of somebody, but him actually doing it, uh, yeah. you know, uh, on his own, that's not really something that you come across a lot. But things went pretty good down there for them for, for quite a few years. And, you know, I, let me throw this in. In, uh, in 46, 47, 48 along there, we, they were getting slot machines in different joints here in Kansas City, and, and the mob, post-war mob, then wanted to get in that business themselves. I don't know where they got the machines exactly. I've not really researched that. I need to do that because there's a pretty well-known story about the the murder of a guy named Wolf Reinman. Now, Wolf Reinman was a golf pro at a country club and out, just outside the city. And, of course, they had gambling out there. And Hell, that country club's still, still in operation. They got a nice golf course. It's one of those old 1930s golf courses. And, uh, he was working with the sheriff of Jackson County, which Kansas City sits in, and they were going to put machines in all the bars in what we call eastern Jackson County or rural Jackson County outside of Kansas City. The mob, the Benagio and Gargata and uh, Tony Gizzo at the time, they said, you know, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, if anybody's going to do that, we're going to do that. You know, you're, you're not doing that. And, and he did it anyhow. And the sheriff, acting under the protection of the sheriff, he did it anyhow. And he was over in the city during that time and and he, uh, interesting, he had, he was so tight with that sheriff, he had a car, like a 46 or 47 Ford, I believe, and it had a big siren out on the fender, like a police car. <laughs> <laughs> and he was parked in front of some place, he had to go and do some business, and he came back out, and as he got outside that business and got to his car and opened the door, another car pulled up next to him, and a guy jumped out and, and popped him and shot him down, killed him right there. Oh, boy on the street so that car it, that car was like a i want to say that was like a 40 it must have been 49 i believe it's a 49 ford might have been 48 and and that car took off and they found it a few blocks later crashed not really crashed but abandoned basically like it might have run into something somebody's in a big hurry and and left it there and took off running or gotten another car and left uh would would be my guess and so when they got that car in they look at it, and it's got hidden compartments in it for guns uh, underneath the seat and up underneath the dash. And it was obvious, you know, they had like kind of like a layout for a gun. The Chicago had one. They, they found one up in Chicago a few years later in the 60s with that same kind of a setup, with hidden compartments in it for guns. What was made this really interesting is they were showing pictures around, and I still can't figure out how they got onto this name, but they were showing pictures around of Paul Rica from 
Chicago, so I, I don't know, but uh, but that car when they checked the registration on it, it was registered to a to a to a phony name who gave an address of the waiters and bartenders union here in Kansas City, and and been brought brand new over in St. Louis and registered to this fake name to that address. And it was almost a brand new car. It was less than a year old. So it's, <laughs> there's a lot of money in those slot machines. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. I was going to show you too. I don't know if you can see it very well, but that's a, a matchbook from the Beverly Club right there. Oh, I see. Cool. Yeah. That I got. And then I got a, this is kind of hard to see too, but that's a, a old glass from it right there as oh, well. Oh, yeah. Wow. I got these from Ron Rawson at the, uh, the Crescent City Mafia Murder and Mysteries Facebook page, and I, you know anybody who's interested in anything Louisiana and mob related, yeah, go there because the you know there's people on that. I agree. That, that that's a good that, one. There's a lot of information. He's got a ton of pictures uh, from back. He in does, those days and he's too. got a lot of people that are down there that have that information that get involved yeah. on that site. It's great. So, but um, but it, you know the they were down there. Um, doing pretty good you know for a while too but like the, the raids started happening you, know, you get a bit, a bit of the public outcry and stuff so they were forced to do kind of what they did back in the in the old days they they formed the pelican or no it was louisiana mint company at that point and uh they started putting mints back in the slot machines <laughs> so, that was, and that worked again for a while i think it was around oh when was it around 36 I think it was in 37 he got indicted uh for tax evasion because they started kind of going after him down there but they, but it never stuck uh you know they uh they got off but they're they did have to go to court a few times over all this stuff and all the money that they were making but you know as always they squeaked by somehow right there you know you know that's that al capone again they got him on tax evasion so they did the same thing to one of our mob guys here in kansas city on a state charge of tax evasion <laughs> it's always <laughs> taxes they, you know? <laughs> once they once everybody learned about that other law enforcement learned about that al capone thing they started looking at that tax evasion thing that's just how they they, they got them going but, back then um, till they, then they had to figure out ways to launder their money which they did of course yeah and then around kind of the early 50s their involvement down there started to wane. Um, one of the last big things that happened down there was Frank Carbo, the, the boxing promoter from up in New York. If anybody's seen Ra- Raging Bull, they know who he is. You know, he had so much legal trouble that he was not able to do, you know, promotions and stuff in most of the states. So he wanted to come down to, to Louisiana and start doing boxing promotions down there. Diamond Jim Ram, the guy I was, was talking to you about earlier, he was a huge boxing fan. He started as a boxer, um, and he was always real fascinated with that stuff and, and into boxing all his life. There's a really cool picture that you can see of uh, in one of his restaurants. You can see it on Frank's place, and it's also in the book that Tony DiStefano did on Frank Costello, uh, Top Hoodlum. But it's got Frank Carbo, Frank Costello, I think it's Dudley Geigerman, who was Frank's brother-in-law, and it's either Jake Lansky or Meyer Lansky at the table too. It's a great picture. I yeah. mean, you don't you don't see pictures of, like that very often. He came down and he wanted to set something up with boxing promotions with um, Frank Costello's brother-in-law Dudley Geigerman. A couple of his family members wanted to set this up, and they kind of needed Frank. You know, he was high enough up where he could bring in the political clout to make this happen. And they met with, apparently with Earl Long at the Roosevelt Hotel, and they had some kind of deal worked out. They were going to make a you know, a contribution to him right. to be now, able to now, bring this Earl, boxing Earl Long, down. Now, now, Earl Long, uh, this is not Huey Long, who was a governor nope. who had been killed. Now, Earl Long, tell tell us who Earl Long was. 
Well, you know, I don't know too much about he was him. A senator, but I, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he ended up. You know, there's the movie that they. Oh, what's that movie called with Paul Newman? I, I can't remember the name of it now off the top of my head. But you know, he was he was a controversial character down there as well. And the but the news got out about this deal, about this meeting that they had apparently, and there was so much publicity about it. Uh, and this is right, right around. 55, I think. Yeah. Um, so Frank Costello had already gone through the Keith Offer commit. You know, he was he was world famous at this point. <laughs> at this point, and then, yeah. Yeah, as soon as, you know, that name came up, um, and this tended to happen with him a lot after that, the deal just fell through. And really, you don't hear too much more about him in the late 50s until, you know, down in New Orleans anyway. And around the early 60s, his right-hand man, Phil Costello, Dandy Phil Costello, is what they called him, he uh, ended up committing suicide. He had a lot of health problems. He had gone blind in one eye, and he knew he was waning, and he ended up committing suicide in his apartment in New Orleans. And that was kind of the end of, of Costello's involvement down there. When he set up his businesses down there, though, he brought a lot of his family down there to run it. So there, there was kind of a big sort of, uh, what would you call that? <laughs> a, a, a lot of those guys that were in his family came down to run his stuff. He was real good about that, where he would bring his own people in to run his business. Right. He wasn't always bringing in just mob guys to run his stuff. Like he had, you know, people, they weren't made members of the mob or anything like that. They were just his family and they were running his interests down there. And uh, most of them have, it looks, you know, like have stayed down there. They're still down in New Orleans and they've all become, they're all, they're not criminals they're all law-abiding citizens right. that are involved in the community down there and uh i've talked to quite a few of them they're very nice they're always kind of interested in frank costello just like i am and they've given me all sorts of great stories and stuff but most of them i, I can't really tell they don't you know they're pretty hesitant about using their name or yeah the stories imagine. but yeah but there's a lot of them that are still down there that just kind of remained in new orleans interesting and, you know, so, that, you know, he had a he had a big impact down there. Yeah, he did. That was a huge impact on that whole state. Uh, you know, back in back in the thirties, and then during the war, that was you know provided entertainment and, and uh, yeah, I jobs mean, and, and and all that. We we sometimes we think about just all the money that the mob guy made, but you know, he provides a lot of jobs and a lot of entertainment for people. Provides a service. Yeah, <laughs> he. Um, it's funny because when he uh, had to get up on the stand and, and talk about what his involvement with a lot of these things down there were on paper he was listed at the Beverly Club as the talent scout yeah. and a lot of these clubs and stuff that he had yeah I mean he he was the guy you know the, he claimed that he got a salary because he he knew all these entertainers and things and he would bring them down and he would vet them to see who was good who was bad and that's what he claimed his involvement with all this yeah. was was he, he was just a talent scout so I thought that was kind of funny you know and modern times Joe Augusto and Lefty Rosenthal they copied the same thing to give them access and, and a reason to be in those the Tropicana and the Stardust. Yeah. You yeah. Know, Lefty even started his own T V show so he could and was connected right. to the Stardust. Yeah, exactly. And now, Joe, Joe Augusto, he was supposedly the manager of the Follies Berger, you know. And, <laughs> right. And they were just the, criminals. You know, they didn't have they didn't know anything about being, you know, dancing or talents. Yeah. And, and that T V show that 
Rosendahl had was like, oh boy, <laughs> he's no Johnny Carson. <laughs> yeah, you know, it is funny though. Those guys, like Frank Costello, definitely, because, you know, he, he helped run the Copa. He was one of the owners of the Copa. Um, he knew a lot of entertainers you yeah. know, because of because of that. And so, you know, Joey Lewis, all sorts of, you know, people that he liked, he would always bring the, the entertainers he liked, you know, they would come down to his club. I guess he... He actually got the chef from the Copa, too. He kind of stole the chef from one of his clubs. And when they built the Beverly, he brought that guy down to, to the Beverly, and that guy took over down there, too. So he was constantly grabbing, you know, people from his other places. And uh, Before I forget, though, just kind of off the subject, but you mentioned this. Did you see the Tropicana is going to sell now? No, I hadn't seen for, that. I hadn't seen it. That. Yeah, Larry Henry, our friend, he just posted something the other day. I guess it's up for sale. You know, and that... That was Frank Costello. You know, he's the guy who kind of started the Tropicana. Him and Phil Costello, again, you know, same same group of guys are the guys that were sort of behind that. So that's that's the famous story when he got when Frank Costello got shot and they were looking through his pockets and everything. And yep. they took him in. He had this piece of paper that had all the take from all the different <laughs> games at the Tropicana that day, and they figured a it out. A lot of interesting like, numbers oh, on that thing. Yes. <laughs> So, but yeah, I, I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, it's it's amazing to me that the place is still standing. To be really, you know, honest, like that and the Flamingo, and uh, El Cortez, that they're even still there. The Beverly, unfortunately, shut down. It burnt down in a fire, and then they they rebuilt it. They uh, but when it came back, it came back as a as a supper club. And I got this book from uh, Ron Rawson as well. This is a really good book, just kind of on the history of the Beverly. It's what, got some what, good what's, pictures. What's the name and author of that? This is called The Beverly by Nancy Gould Gex. Okay. G-E-X. So um, it's an illustrated and, and uh, written history of the Beverly. Club. Yeah, it, it, it's got some great old pictures in it. Kind of the same as the, the Food for Kings book I was talking about with uh, Diamond Jim Moran. Uh, it's got some, if you're interested in New Orleans, there's a ton of New Orleans history in it. There's just old flyers, old menus, old yeah. pictures. Um Jim Moran's uh, restaurants were, you know, him and Costello were, were great friends. And th- this book has got tons of great pictures of him and Costello together in Hot Springs and New Orleans. I mean, the, the entertainers and the boxers, the sports people and stuff that were involved in these guys. There's just, you know, if you're interested in that time frame and that kind of, you know, which I definitely am. It's a, it's a great little collection of pictures and stories. So definitely recommend it. Casey, this has been great, you know, and, uh, and to let you know, I just talked to a friend of mine that's got some connections down there in the uh, New Orleans area, and, and he was talking to somebody in the uh, connected to the Gagliano family, you know, the the modern iteration of the mafia down there became uh-huh. this Frank Gagliano family, and they have a restaurant down there, and, and uh, he, he told me that... Uh, he understood that uh, there's still a lot of machines out there, uh, and there's always going to be poker machines. I'm not sure what the legal status is of it down there now, or not. Everyone's different. Uh, every state's different on that. But I can't keep up with it, yeah. which where it's know, legal and where it's not anymore. You know, but with this virus thing going on, they were complaining that all their machines, <laughs> their vending machines, to take was way, way down. Or there'd be gambling. Oh, machines I'm sure. Other vending, other vending machines. Yeah, it's got a. I, I don't know if you can, you're going to be able to see this at all, but that's uh, that's where me and Ron went. That's one of oh, that's uh, Frank's. his restaurants. Wow. Yeah, one of his restaurants there. Did you get a, was, Did you get a Mufaletta? 
That's exactly what we got. Yeah, <laughs> I'd never had one before. Yeah. It was good. Yeah, I Let think me that's tell what you. they're famous for. That's what this guy said. He said, "Yeah, he said they make a heck of a mufaletta down there." Yeah, I definitely <laughs> recommend going there if, if you get a chance. But this, this um, friend of mine, the FBI, came to him. Uh, knew he had some connection, and he was in the penitentiary. So they go visit people periodically in the penitentiary that they think might, if they're working on somebody, and they they ask him. They said, uh, "Well, who's uh, you know what about?" Uh, it was Gaglianos down there. I hear you know them. And, and he said, you know, he said, I hear they make a heck of a mufaletta sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> they do. I can, I got to test to that. And then he sure told his agent, he was way up north, like north or south Dakota. He said, man, he said, what'd you do to get, uh, get stationed way out in the boonies like this? <laughs> that interview <laughs> did, ended pretty quick. <laughs> Yeah, it, you know, who knows what's going on down there still. Um, like I said, if you're interested in it, definitely go to the uh, the Crescent City Mafia Murder Mysteries because, yeah. you know, there's people that are much more up on what the current state of that is. Um, on the slot machine deal, one, one little story I can tell just before we're done here is um, one of the relatives of Frank that I've talked to, her father worked for him, and, and they were related and everything, and he used to work at the Beverly. But for a long time, they had one of the slot machines at the house, yeah. and she's not sure what happened to it. It ended up disappearing, but I was like, oh, man, if they just still had that thing, it would be so cool. <laughs> Quite an artifact. I'd love, I would love to just have one of those, or, yeah. you know. So you'd have to outbid. You'd have to outbid the mob museum for that. I think <laughs> I would. I'd have to outbid Ronald Rawson. Is who I have to outbid? He's quite a collector of all oh, that. That's he? another great thing. Yeah. So if you're on that site, he's got just. You know, that's where I got all my memorabilia from okay. there, from too. But he's got glasses, old menus, chips, and stuff like that. Um, if you go to the the mom museum, they have some Beverly uh, chips there. And they have one of these glasses as well. But if you look at the chips, the chips, Beverly is spelt wrong. And the story that I've heard is they spelt the, the name on the chips wrong on purpose in case they got confiscated. They could claim they weren't from they their Beverly. They weren't mine, ah. Yeah, so slick. there's, there's a, an EY and a, I think just a, a Beverly with the Y. That so that's the reason the difference is <laughs> in that. <laughs> These guys are always thinking, man. Yeah, <laughs> But, uh, All right, Casey. But yeah. Thanks a lot. I see you have quite a uh, mob library. I see five families by that Selwyn Rob. I think he's a, quite an expert. You got quite a. Little... I've got you know most of this is it's almost all in some way Costello related. Okay. All the wow. books except for your. I've got your books yeah. back here and your DVDs and stuff. But uh, pretty much all the stuff that I've got um, is either directly about Frank or about somebody that he was associated yeah. with. See, you know, I so see. that I could. Kind of, but um, you know that's one of the good things. Like I've said in the past about him, is there's a lot of reading material. Yeah. All right, let me finish this off. Uh, if you're a veteran and you believe you have problems that might be connected to PTSD that was connected to your service time, uh, call a local vet center, or the hospital in your area. Then there's a national hotline out there. It's one eight hundred two seven three eight two five five, and be sure and press one when they answer or the machine answers. If you're a vet. And if you're maybe a relative or you just want to know more yourself, you're not sure if uh, you have PTSD or if your problems, any problems you have stem from PTSD, there's a great website out there by the VA. It's www.ptsd.va.gov, and this site has a lot of resources. So don't forget to hit me up on the Venmo app after this whole COVID virus thing's over. You don't really worry about me now. 
um, it's Gangland Wire. You got my movie. You can rent. You want to be entertained uh, besides the podcast, putting out these extra <laughs> podcasts for a dollar ninety nine. You can go watch Brothers Against Brothers uh, on Amazon and Gangland Wire on Amazon for the same price. Uh, I have my book out there, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination at Las Vegas Casinos. I uh, got the Kansas City Mob Tour app, although I just got something from Apple the other day about some new stuff. I tell you what, it's it's hard to keep up with this thing sometimes. And <laughs> I can't either. <laughs> I don't know. Anyhow, and, and you know, like I told you, Casey, you guys, uh, you see me posting my, during this time especially, you see me posting on my Facebook page a link to my podcast Take that link and post it on other mob interest pages because they stopped me after about three of them. They think it's spam. And I tried to appeal it, and, it, and I don't know, it just either wasn't taking appeals right then. I'll continue that up. But, uh, but re- You're a Russian robot. Yeah, really. They, they think I'm a spammer, you know, and, and I always post it on all the different mob websites. Usually when a new one comes up, I don't just inundate them with anything, but I try to post it when a new one comes up. There's about, well, how many different mob interest Facebook pages out there out there. <laughs> Oof, I can't keep up. There's, a, there's quite a few, but uh, I try to pick out the bigger ones and the main ones. And so, if you guys had helped me and post that, my social media marketer friend Basil, Basil Terabiche is in the hospital 20 hours a day to list things over. So, once again, Basil, we we support you. <laughs> we, 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 you know, you're you're on the front lines now, dude, uh, and we all appreciate it. All right, Casey, thanks a lot. Good night.
get the tail and chop the head And three can keep that secret to within the dead Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.